Hey, Justin Baldoni here, and I just wanted to say thank you because my new book, Boys Will Be Human, debuted at number three on the New York Times bestseller list. I never in a million years thought it would be possible. There's not even a section in the bookstore for young boys, and it's thanks to you and this community that it happened. If you haven't picked up the book yet, it's available now anywhere you get your books. It's also on Audible. It's called Boys Will Be Human. It's a get real gut check to becoming the strongest, kindest, bravest person you can be. If you know a parent of a 11 to 100-year-old boy, or if you are one yourself, I promise you this book is for you. Boys Will Be Human, available everywhere that books are sold. Coming up on Man Enough. If you just do a little bit of exploration, you're going to find that there's boys everywhere that don't have male role models. And it takes a very small amount of effort to get involved in their life and have uh, a big impact. The cohort that I get the most passionate support from, mothers. My daughter's at Penn, my other daughter's in PR and a great firm in Chicago. My son is in the basement vaping and playing video games. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil. So maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to like put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. Hey everybody, welcome to the Man Enough Podcast. I'm Jamie Heath. We got Liz Plank and Andy Grammer. We got Andy Grammer here sitting in for Justin Baldoni. Um, Justin, we miss you, brother. Uh, we know that you're spending time with the family, taking a, uh, some time off. But we got Andy filling your shoes. Um, how you think you're doing, Andy? I'm trying my best. It feels. Listen, honestly, I just love long conversations about important things. Uh, I think that's the best. The best thing about podcasts is just mm-hmm. like being forced to sit down and go into some deeper thought. Mm. In a generation where I just keep going to my phone all the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> to not be able to have it on is like hell yeah. With that, Liz, we have a we have a guest with us we today. We have a great guest. Um, I've been demanding we get Scott Galloway, um, mm. and are the days here? Yes, um, he is finally here. Scott, if you don't know him, you definitely saw him go uh, viral on Bill Maher recently, uh, talking about uh, the crisis in masculinity. He hosts one of my favorite podcasts um, with Kara Swisher. I listen to you every week. I really I listen to that podcast every week. I highly recommend it. It's called Pivot, and he's a public speaker, an author an entrepreneur. He like owned a bunch of companies. And then he's one of the World Economic Forum global leaders. And he's a huge advocate and philanthropist in support of lowering the barriers mm. of access to education for all people. He wrote this intro. He made me read all of this. No, he um, did not. He did. Uh, he's no. a, bottom line, he's a really smart, yes. incredible dude that yes. we um, want to hear from. Scott, welcome to the Man of Podcast, brother. Uh, thanks for having me. So far, I'm really enjoying this. So. <laughs> Oh, man, it's great to have you. We we are uh, in the the world of wanting to undefine masculinity ourselves. We sometimes do a good job at it. And uh, a lot of times we screw it up, or at least I can say for myself, Mm -hmm. regardless of my intention. And the way we can get better is to have conversations with people that speak from their heart and their spirit and have actually, you know, walk a life themselves. And then others as well that have expertise on it, that have studied it. 
that share it uh, as a profession. And um, I think you probably have a little of both, or a lot of both, actually. So um, let's start with the question that we normally start. Just kick us off. Andy, you know what that question is? Yes, I've been asked. I've been asked this on this podcast before. I'm excited to hear your answer. When was the last time you felt like you were not enough? Oh, we're going to need a bigger boat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, the room service person knocked on my door and it was a podcast and I yelled at them and I thought, great, I'm yelling at minimum wage employees now. Uh, That's why I'm successful. So I can be rude to people. Mm-hmm. I felt like a jerk there. Hmm. Uh, I was in the gym this morning and got really like, uh, I felt weak. <laughs> uh, I miss my kids. I can't figure out why I've been away from my kids for three weeks, all this fucking success, and I can't figure out a way to be with my family. Mm-hmm. I feel deficient constantly. Mm-hmm. Well, that really brought us down. <laughs> thanks, thanks for us, Scott. Thanks uh, for being here. Oh, my God. This is going to be great because he just came straight in with truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Liz, what do you got? Well, I mean, I have so many questions. I, I've seen you from afar talk about masculinity and talk about manhood um, m- more and more, right? It's always been a part mm-hmm. of your uh, approach to the world. You you have a very, I think, feminist approach to the topics even that you talk about in terms of tech and business and, and, and politics. But you have been leaning more and more into talking about young men. And I think that the way that you talk about it, I actually think is really, really different and really, really interesting. And something that I, uh, you know, I wrote a book about masculinity and in there, I, I really was focused on, you know, masculinity is not the problem. Masculinity is the solution. And <laughs> you, I think, really speak to that in all of the your, your appearances and your newsletters and sort of encouraging men to actually lean into masculinity as a way for them to feel better and for the, the world to be a, a better place. Am I, am I, totally misunderstanding what you're trying to do? No, I think you're being generous. And I also just should highlight that I have some expertise and have been accepted on the faculty of a business school around brand strategy and strategy, but not around gender studies Mm -hmm. or evolutionary anthropology. So my views on masculinity are just a commentator who thinks about it a lot. Mm. You know, I came to it because um, as you get older, if you have a, a certain amount of success and you're fearing death and you want to have a mark, you, you need to pick a cohort to evangelize for. And the cohort I relate to, and I think the cohort that the data shows has fallen further faster than any other cohort in America, is young men. And uh, I think it's especially challenging because of their 400-year head start. There aren't a lot of people that feel sorry for men and feel like there needs to be affirmative action or investment in young men. But when you look at the data, it's just so striking for every one uh, male college graduate in the next five years, there's going to be two female college graduates, seven and 10 high school valedictorians are girls. You have uh, some really scary statistics about men not forming uh, healthy relationships. But what I try and do, and again, I'm very open to pushback here because I'm learning about this, and you've written a book on it, which probably means you're going to forget more about it than I'm going to know. But it's important to kind of define it off off the bat. Uh, I think masculinity and femininity are social devised constructs. And I also don't think they're the, they're the domain or province solely of people born men or women. Mm. I have a lot of male friends in my life that uh, demonstrate a lot of feminine characteristics. Uh, they're very kind, they're very loving. They kind of like, you know, I had a friend stay with my place in Soho last week and he shows up and he just starts taking care of me. Mm-hmm. And I think those feminine attributes are just wonderful. And I think that both men and women can demonstrate them. I think that 
masculinity is something wonderful that can be demonstrated by both genders. And I think it's something that's in short supply among young men. So what I try and do is say, okay, it's not a zero-sum game. You can be a feminist. I'm fiercely uh, in favor of women's rights. I believe in equal pay. I believe that discrimination in any workplace should be pursued and legally rectified. But at the same time, I think masculinity, and I loosely define it as garnering skills and strengths such that you can advocate for and protect others, I think that is the ultimate demonstration of masculinity. And I encourage young men to say, well, how do you get to that point? Mm-hmm. And I have a series of best practices. There's no manuals. I think it's around physical and mental toughness, around kindness, around being aggressive, establishing relationships, uh, working very, very hard, lifting heavy weights, running long distances in your mind and in the gym. But I think it's, I think it's something that, A, lacks definition, has mm-hmm. been totally inappropriately conflated with toxicity. That's not true. Masculinity is a wonderful thing. So, and as a result, I think we're paying a price for it because I think a lot of young men are struggling and there isn't a lot of what I call champions for them. Mm. Mm. Love that. That was a word salad. No, no. (laughs) No, I I disagree with with most, with like all Mm -hmm. of it. I think there's just a lot of confusion. It's it's funny when you say like the 400-year head start and so there's not a lot of people that are, you know, there's not... Cry me a river, I'm a guy, and I'm having mm. trouble. Uh, definitely feels like that. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of hard to pinpoint what it is I'm supposed to be good at. I know that that as a man, and the word masculinity, usually in my head, just comes with toxic in front of it. <laughs> There's not a lot of conversations mm-hmm. that I'm in where you're like, just masculinity being like a good thing. Right. And so therefore, it just gets confusing. Like, what is it that I'm supposed to be going after? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, mm. Which is... Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I love what you share. I, I too feel that masculinity in itself is a wonderful thing. We have these um, qualities that are gifted to all, all of humanity. Feminine mm-hmm. qualities, masculine qualities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything can be used in a bad way. You know, you can mm-hmm. use, um, there's lots of stuff. Yeah. Love can be a terrible thing if it's used to manipulate someone mm-hmm. or at least in, in the in the disguise of love, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's what happens with masculinity itself. How can power, if that's considered a masculine quality, how is that used in a toxic way? That's worth discussing to me because there is a lot to unlearn maybe. I want men to be more masculine. I want men to protect women. I want men to want to be more appealing partners. And like one of the things, Scott, that you talk about is like men should be having, you know, more more sex, should be having better connections with the opposite sex. We got to talk about that one, by the way. We're going to go deep. And what I'm talking about specifically is like when it comes to reproductive rights, right? Like Mm -hmm. I... I actually don't think that right now is the time to say like a woman's right to choose and that's why you should be pro-choice and you'd be supporting women. I I think that that obviously is like a given. I I can't think of like a worse law or a worse policy. Like if you were going to make a policy that would like prevent men from having more sex, like Roe being overturned is probably like the worst, like me going to prison, like potentially if I have sex with a man, I feel like that's like the worst way for men to be having more sex with women. One of the most, so my book, Adrift in American 100 Charts, the chart I find most disturbing is that if you walk down the avenue that is America and you pass a a young man between the ages of 18 and 30, one in three of them have not had sex in at least the last year. And people hear the term sex and their mind goes a bunch of different directions. But I feel like the elemental foundation of any society 
uh, and also every book on happiness, I did write a book on happiness, every study on happiness all digresses to one thing uh, across ethnicities, geographies, socioeconomic classes. And that is your happiness is a function of the number of deep and meaningful relationships you mm -hmm. have. So I just think of sex as a key step to that elemental foundation. Right. If your religious values in your code say that sex is not something to be practiced um, uh, primarily, that's up to you. But find other means of establishing deep, intimate, romantic relationships. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. I think we have one of the largest unsupervised experiments in history on young men, and, and it's porn. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I'm not someone who says you shouldn't watch porn. There's too much of it out there. Uh, I, I get it. Um, I watch porn. What I tell young men is try and modulate your use. Because one of the keys to finding a successful romantic partnership is your ability to endure rejection, or specifically your willingness to approach somebody mm -hmm. and express interests that might lead to romantic connection. Uh, uh, I am, and I don't say this a humble brag, it's true, my partner is nicer than me, has better character, and is much better looking. And it's a function of the fact of my willingness to endure rejection. I met her at the Raleigh, uh, the pool at the Raleigh Hotel. And I remember walking and saying, I committed. I said, I saw this woman. I said, I am going to speak to her before I leave. She was with another woman and another man. And to open in under the noon sun at a pool without the use or benefit of alcohol is not easy. No, that is not <laughs> easy. What was your and, line? Yeah. What did you say? Really, really charming. Where are you guys from? But anyways, fast forward. <laughs> it works. It works. What a, what, a, what, a, what an operator. But fast forward 15 years later, my oldest son's middle name is Raleigh. And what I advise young men is be careful around consumption of porn because you don't want to lose your mojo and your drive to go to your softball league, your church gathering, to work, to go out with your friends to dinner, mm -hmm. go to a party, a dinner party that your friends are hosting. In other words, you don't want to do anything that suppresses your drive and your desire to go out and meet people and start making your own bad porn. Because between sticking at home and thinking you're learning something on Robinhood, getting a dope a hit from gambling on investing apps, playing video games, vaping, and then porn, there's not a lot of reason or it can suppress your desire to get out and establish your own connections. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when I say I think men need to have more sex, I think men need to be more aggressive about establishing relationships, not only, mm -hmm. not only romantic or sexual relationships, but friendships, mentorships, finding people that can help you professionally, reaching out to people and saying, in so many words, I, I like hanging out with you. I'd like to hang out more. Or would you be willing to help me? Mm -hmm. I think that's, I think we're a social species and your ability to be successful is largely a function of how many times you're going to bump off of strangers and how aggressive you are around establishing relationships. Mm. If, if, if one of the things that, we, that we're lacking in men is the ability to like go up and talk to a girl, to be cool with failure and to go, go out and do this stuff, which is something that you need pressure to push you to do. It, it is interesting for me to look at like, oh, yeah, this big thing that has changed for all of us might affect men and women differently mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in certain certain areas. And for sure, I have experience with like really putting myself out there as well as watching too much porn. And the, and it's totally you can see it. <laughs> it, it. It takes your mojo. 
it takes away your like willingness to just go out and fight in the world, mm. I would say. Mm. Now, because of some terrible, uh, very well-publicized incidences at work where men have abused their positions of power to take advantage of women, the workplace has been sort of said, it's off limits. Yeah. I had not one, not two, but three people who worked at my firm, L2, my analytics firm, get married this last weekend. And one of those weddings was between uh, two people that met at L2. And guess what? Their interactions were not toxic. No one mm -hmm. was abusing power. Mm -hmm. They liked each other. They met at work. They became, they, someone asked someone out for coffee and it went from there. I think in a relationship, and I don't care if it's a man and a man or a man and a woman. I mean, you, you want to express desire as often as possible. I think men like to be desired. I think women really like to be desired. That's true. Yep. And I, I, tell, I tell men, I'm like, if you're in a relationship with a woman, any time you think about being affectionate, every time you think about having sex, you should express it verbally and nonverbally. Mm -hmm. We want to be wanted. Mm -hmm. If you can't tell the difference between expressing interest to a woman and bothering her, then you got bigger problems. Yeah. And also, it's okay to start talking to the strange woman in front of you at Starbucks. And if she's not interested, you will pick up on that really quickly. And guess what? You're both going to be fine. You're both going to get over it. But don't think that somehow you're being a toxic male when after, uh, by trying to open conversation with somebody or respectfully ask somebody out to coffee, or when you're on a date, maybe maybe holding their hand, or God forbid, at some point, even leaning in for a kiss, mm -hmm. that's okay. That's okay. And men have been told uh, not to do these things, that, that somehow that is some sort of aggression verging on violence. And that is just not true. And I also, and I'm not going to speak for women, but I think more women, I think a lot of women would like to see men be more emotionally and economically viable and be a little bit more aggressive. Yes. I mean, I, I think that young women particularly, like, they don't get asked on dates. And because women, I mean, I think if we lived in a different society, women would be trained to do it. But but because no one's taking the lead, do you know what I mean? Like it. And again, I'm going to get hate from people saying, well, women can take the lead. But but that script to, to, to Scott's point is kind of what women still expect. Like, I think if a guy doesn't hit on me, he's not really interested in me or like it's not going to last because he's not, you know, telling. Right. Like, I think women do want those things. And I think men are afraid to show them. And and I guess what would be your your, your tips for seduction? Is it just and, and you're very kind of against dating apps, right? Like you think men should just get off dating apps and and do what? The, the most important decision you'll make in your life. I, I survey my kids when I say my kids, my students. And their average age is 27. And these are really high-performing kids. Uh, the average salary out of NYU Stern is $212,000. That's the average. So if someone's only making 150, someone's making closer to 300. So these are very high-performing people. And I always survey them at the end of the class. I say, what's the most important decision you'll ever make? And they always say, the industry you go into, um, where you decide to live. The most important decision you'll ever make is who you decide to partner with the rest of your life, your spouse, who you decide to have kids with. I have friends who are not very successful by professional standards, but they've got a great partner in their mate, and they just have nice lives. I mean, it's hard. And then I have other friends who are just killing it by every <laughs> exterior metric, and their lives just aren't that nice because they don't have a partner. They mm -hmm. don't share each other's values. It's constant. It's a life of in and out of stress and disappointment and mm -hmm. agita and anxiety. 
So what you want to do when you're young is you want to create as much optionality as possible. You want to, I don't want to say you don't want to cycle through people, but you want to figure out what you, what's important to you. You want to find someone wonderful. And serendipity is a function of risk. You want to take as many risks as possible. You want to force yourself to get out there and meet people. I think you should be on dating apps, but here's the reality about dating apps. When technology comes in any sector, it consolidates it. It becomes a winner-take-most environment. So when technology came into mating in the form of dating apps, there became a winner-take-most phenomena. And it played out something like this. Women are attracted to men, and this is, actually, this is peer-reviewed research, based on three primary criteria. Hmm. The number one criteria is their ability to garner resources uh, presently and in the future. Uh, essentially, it's very primal. Women are much more vulnerable during pregnancy and when they have kids, so they're looking for someone who has resources, which is kind of an indicator of power in today's capitalist society. Numbers two is intellect. The quickest way to demonstrate intellect is to be funny, but it's someone who's smart. And then the third is kindness. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how smart you are. If you're a jerk, uh, women start to figure out you're going to make a bad hmm. mate. When you move to online, it's primarily the only thing you can indicate is the first. It's hard to demonstrate kindness or intelligence in a Tinder profile. So if you have 50 men on Tinder and 50 women, 46 of the women will show all of their attention to just four men, leaving 46 men fighting over four women. Mm. And it leads to something I refer to as Porsche polygamy. And that is the top 10% of men in terms of their ability to signal resources. Hi, I went to MIT. I live in New York. I have a job at a private equity fund and somehow my Rolex made it into my profile picture. The top 10% get 90 plus percent of the opportunities. It doesn't encourage long-term relationships among that cohort because they have a lot of opportunity. The kind of 50 to 90 percentile do okay, but the bottom 50% of men are totally shut out of the market. And I would argue it's just a little bit worse across the entire spectrum for women because you have the really high quality guys from an attractiveness standpoint don't want to settle down. And the bottom 50 become what I'd call these lonely, angry men who start to blame others, including women. And that's why we have the rise of someone, uh, what I would call as very dangerous people who try to tap into this rage mm. for men who want to blame someone else. And the easiest target to blame is, is women, quite frankly. And we're producing what I think is the most dangerous person in the world uh, in America. And that is a young, broken, alone man. The most unstable societies in the world all have that one person or too many of them, the most violent, unstable societies. And in America, we're just producing way too many of them. Young men who aren't attaching to work, they're not attaching to school, they're not attaching to a romantic partner. Mm. And this is also a sexist statement. I think that uh, young men need guardrails more so than women. Their prefrontal cortex does not develop as early. They're more risk aggressive. Uh, they are not as good socially. They have a more difficult time reading the room. They can end up in their 20s and 30s with absolutely no romantic experience, an inability to connect with people, a lot of shame, and then they start developing aggression and they start blame, blaming others. And there's a great African proverb that says, if a young man doesn't feel the warmth of the tribe, he will burn it, out, he will burn it down to feel that warmth. Mm. And uh, I want to be clear, I don't think it's women's responsibility. I'm not blaming women. Women don't have a responsibility to service men. But the reality is we have a large cohort of young men who aren't attaching to anything. And it's going to be, in my view, a real issue. Because when people don't get married, when people don't establish relationships, 
you end up with lower economic growth, and you end up with this dangerous cohort. You know, whenever you hear about a mass shooter, we know who it is before we know who it is. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's just, it's never like some 69-year-old mm-hmm. soccer mom, mm-hmm. I mean, or soccer grandmother. It mm-hmm. just You just know who it is before you know who it is. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. And what you're describing is also bad for women, right? Like like women fighting for 10% men. Women are lonely and women are single, right? Like there's, uh, I think this is the first year ever where there's more single women buying homes alone than single men buying homes alone and single women have lower medium income. And and so women are also, right, like in, in pain in this scenario, but I guess they're not going out and like shooting up, you know, massage parlors. And so we don't, maybe address it in the same way. But it's like, no, we want desperately to connect with men. We want to to get married. We want to buy a home with someone. Like, how do we, you know, form relationships in this kind of environment? I, th- I think that's a key uh, distinction here. And that is men failing. It's not women's fault. Right. And right. and the first sign of a man who's truly failed is he starts blaming women. That's that, exactly that right. That's what mm. it means that yeah. you have truly failed. Yeah. You were trying to find a scapegoat. And and you're you're blaming you're blaming women as a general category. Mm-hmm. And that's just not that's signs that you really are you really are struggling. Mm. And there was a time in my life where I was just romantically like not not lucky, whatever you want to call it. I just didn't have a girlfriend or any like romantic involvement for several years. But I established a lot of wonderful relationships professionally. I, I was very close with my mother, and you don't like to say that as an alpha male because it makes you sound weak or feminine. No, but doesn't. I spent a lot of time with her, which I really enjoyed. I had really deep, meaningful relationships with friends. So, you know, what's unfair for women is that their success or failure is disproportionately um, judged based on their success romantically. Yeah. And that if they don't find a romantic partner, somehow they've failed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women are saying, I don't want to wait for men. I have not been able to find a man who fits my criteria or meets my criteria. So I'm going to freeze my eggs. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm very good at what I do. And there's no reason I can't be happy and have a kid on my own and be financially secure on my own. I'm like, right on, sister. Mm -hmm. The responsibility here is for society to recognize there's a problem, that we all want more economically and emotionally viable men. For young men to step up and say, these are the things, these are the best practices for establishing, you know, real productive masculinity. And also for men my age to recognize if we want better men, then we have to be better men. We have to get involved in a young man's life that maybe is not biologically our own. There are so many communities out there where there's no men. Mm. I grew up in a single parent household. I was raised by my mother. I got very lucky. I had some wonderful male role models in my life, former boyfriends where even after they and my mom broke up, they would stay involved in my life. Mm. I had a stockbroker take a huge interest in my life. I bought my first <laughs> shares of stock when I was 13. I, he still texts me wow. on my birthday to wish me a happy birthday. I mean, you know, Cy Serrell, the guy's in his 80s now. Mm. He was really good to me, taught me a lot about business. Every man my age that has some success has an obligation to do that for a younger man because some of the data is interesting. We have more single uh, uh, parent households than any nation in the world other than Sweden. And girls actually do okay. The outcomes of girls raised in single parent households versus those in dual parent households Mm -hmm. is actually fairly 
equivalent. Mm -hmm. It's boys that seem to come off the track and immediately become twice, two to three times as likely to be incarcerated mm -hmm. or suffer from depression when, there's not a when they're not living with a male role model. And so one basic solution is just to say, okay, if you just do a little bit of ex exploration, you're going to find that there's boys everywhere that don't have male role models. Yeah. You're going to find them everywhere. And it takes a very small amount of effort to get involved in their life and have a, a big impact. And whenever I'm talking about this, I get pushback from one, a lot of young men say I'm calling them incels and being very disparaging. Two, feminists don't like it because they think I'm placing the obligation on them that it's like, oh, God, it's our fault again. Mm -hmm. Thanks a lot, Scott. And I can understand how they would interpret that, although I, I'm trying not to say that. The cohort that I get the most passionate support from, mothers. My wow. daughter's at Penn, my other daughter's in PR and a great friend in Chicago. My son is in the basement vaping and playing video wow. games. Wow. Right. And can I add, why aren't you hearing from the dads? You know, and, and I don't mean that as like, a, again, a disparaging thing, but but the mom, what the mom can do to affect her son is going to be different from what the dad can do to affect his son. You said it right with 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 mentorship. There's not as much of an interest um, or, or curiosity when it comes to, to men helping boys and, and sort of passing that. And I don't know what that is. You know, men are men are I mean, statistically less likely to volunteer, less likely to be involved in their community. Um in, in, in that way. But yeah, I would love like dads to be saying, wow, thank you so much for saying that and be involved and invested. I think more dads are maybe, I mean, because you asked them, why aren't dads? Is that your experience that dads are not doing it as well? Oh, no. I mean, I, I think, I think um, what I'm saying is if you're talking about single parent households, of which we have more, yeah, that's Latin for it's mom and right. the kids. Correct. Right. right. 85% of single parent households, it's it's the, the mom, it's a female who's the head of household. So, mm. and also 70 to 80% of primary school teachers, you know, K through six are women. Mm -hmm. And naturally, and this is totally understandable, who are they going to champion? Right. Who do they identify with, see themselves in, and keep a bit of an eye on? Young girls. Mm -hmm. High school, two thirds of the teachers are women. On a behavioral adjusted basis, Boys are twice as likely to get suspended. A boy and a girl get called into the principal's office Tuesday and Wednesday for the exact same infraction. The boy's twice as likely to get suspended. If he's a black boy, he's five times as likely right. to get suspended. And once someone is suspended three times, they're not going to college. Right. So right away from like literally day one, we're kind of setting boys back. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting conversation. Okay, when it was 40-60... Uh, women to men in the 80s, we said, that's not down. That's not cool. We need to level up women. I think that makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. When people of color were disproportionately under-indexing in college, we said, that's not cool. Mm -hmm. We got to figure out affirmative action. And we did it. And we helped. And that's, that's helped a lot. They still are well behind in terms of household income, and we need to address that. Yeah. The group in society that under-indexes most in college right now is white males. And there's no call whatsoever to level them up. And I'm not recommending there should be, there should be affirmative action for men. I think uh, the, the best solution, and I do want to talk a little about solutions, would be a massive investment just in younger people who have seen their percentage, their wealth as a percentage of GDP be cut from 19% over the last 40 years to 9%. 
Our government policies, our taxation policies are all just elegant Mm -hmm. ways to transfer money from people your age Mm -hmm. to my age. Mm -hmm. The two biggest tax deductions are mortgage interest and capital gains. Who own homes? Old people. Who rents? Young people. Mm -hmm. And then capital gains. Who makes their money from stocks? Guys my age. Who makes their money from working and current income? People your age. The fastest blue line path to a solution that helps young men is to say we need a massive investment in young people, full stop, that there's no reason they should have had their wealth cut in half. We've had unprecedented prosperity over the last 40 years, but for some reason we've decided people under the age of 40 don't get to share in it. So I think the solution is more vocational programs. There's got to be more on ramps to a middle-class lifestyle than going to MIT or going to work for Google or starting a podcast. We need a massive investment in public education that gives people a lot of opportunity. I was born and raised, uh, you know, son of a single immigrant mother. Our household income was never over $40,000. When I applied to UCLA, the admissions rate was 76%. The admissions rate this year will be 6%. Mm-hmm. We can scale Google 28% a year. We can scale Salesforce 40% a year, but we can't scale the University of California 0.6% a year. It's amazing how many statistics you have in your head. It's incredible. Um, it's true. And, <laughs> um, you know, what is it? I forget the percentages, but the percentage of female teachers or teachers that are female in the first kindergarten years, right? Or, or formative years, elementary school. And you had said that the teachers obviously see themselves in little girls. So there's going to be a different relationship than that of boys. So it seems that girls from a young age are constantly in one way or another, whether it's home by mom or whether it's in school, have some sort of guidance, someone that looks like them and represents them and might help shape and mold them. Whereas boys don't have it as much for one reason, either they're, they have a home that's broken. So their father's not around as much. They go to school. They don't have teachers that are men that help them mold them and see them. So if you have a whole life of that, and you have my sister who's been around women her whole life that have helped mold her when she gets 20 and you take me who didn't have any men, I did, but if I didn't, then wouldn't a woman generally be more prepped for society than a boy would be if he didn't have anyone to represent him that he didn't see in himself? And I think a lot of time is spent in school and if you don't have those role models, how else could you develop? And the reason for that by the way, the reason why there's not a lot of male teachers is the patriarchy. It oh, is sexism. I wasn't judging it. I'm oh, just I saying, know, I'm... at the end of the day, does that, does that contribute to right. why I believe, why when I see 10 boys at 20 compared to 10 girls at 20, is that part of the reason that I always say, man, these 10 girls at 20 are just seem better humans than these 10 boys. And it's because they've had nurturing a lot of my cousins and boys grew up with not a lot of male role models, whether mm-hmm. in school or in this case, in this case. And the ones they did have was in sports and was like, be tougher, be this, be this, be this. But the nurturing ones, they didn't have a lot. Whereas they spent a third of their time in school. You take away male figures, you give, you take away the need to go connect with someone because you can do it alone in your room mm-hmm. at this high level of intensity. And, and uh, it's, it's not a surprise. Mm-hmm. That's why you have a lot more men that are not doing it. We have done a good job, and there's still work to be done, but creating organizations, whether it's mentorship programs for women, uh, they're better about that uh, than men are. And uh, also trying to and recognize that we didn't have enough women in college, uh, despite the fact that they demonstrate many of the attributes. They're generally more disciplined. 
there's also, there's still, I mean, part mm-hmm. of the reason that not as many men are going to college as women is that there's sexism on the other side. And that is men are more comfortable with trades jobs and can make more money and have more opportunities with just a high school degree. Mm. So women, if they want to get anywhere, have to go to college. So Mm. there's a lot of play here and a lot Mm. of nuance. And so where I always end up is how do we just level up all young people? We need to dramatically expand the number of freshman seats such that we can have more women, have more people of color, and have a lot more men. And I think we're just all going to be better off if we have um, more, like I said, emotionally and economically viable men to play a more productive role uh, in our society. And I, I think most people, when they really they think about it and they have a young man in their life and they see that from a fairly early age, if they don't have a father who's present in their life, that they're more prone to kind of coming off a little bit off off the rails. Mm. And uh, that uh, we need to uh, try and uh, course correct and get involved in uh, get involved in their lives. Yeah. And, and research on black boys shows that uh, having n- not even just a father inside the home, but having fathers inside the home in their community changes so much in terms of, you know, everything you said about, you know, incarceration or even uh, pr- predicting how uh, their income will go. Um, and so I think, yeah, that that community building is so important. And, you know, we we talk so much about um, income inequality between men and women, between white people and black people. We, we don't often talk about the income inequality amongst white men, which is actually one of the they have white men have some of the largest income inequality, meaning that and, and I think that's why this conversation is so hard to have because all the points you're making are so good. And then people turn on their TV and they're, they see Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and, you know, eight, what, eight white guys own more than half of the world or something like that, right? Like yeah. that, that white men are seem to be doing very well, according to a few that are hoarding the resources, really, which is a euphemism. I think it's more <laughs> theft. Um, but... You know, I, I think it's it's that, too, that that white men, if you look at the total resources that they have, they're doing OK. But the way that it's distributed is very unequal. Yeah. Median versus mean. You brought up black families. And I want to be clear, there's still it's hard to acknowledge there isn't systemic racism uh, economically when the average white household has one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in net worth and the average Latino and black family is somewhere around twenty thousand. I mean, we still have work to do. Right. We also have there are just black communities where there are no men. And I think we should be thinking about creative solutions when we've had prison release programs, when we had them during COVID, when we just let out, we just let out mm-hmm. a huge number of prisoners. Crime in those neighborhoods went down right. because there were male, more male role models who said to the young men, don't yeah. fuck up like I did. Right. And an interesting solution to look at is perhaps perhaps a mass release program of nonviolent offenders. Yeah. We're all freaked out about an American serving an unfair sentence in Russia for marijuana. How many men are in prisons in the U.S. Mm-hmm. serving unfair sentences for marijuana charges? But because they don't play basketball, we're not, we're not all up in arms about it. Mm-hmm. That's going to get me shit. Anyways. So, <laughs> no, well, the, no, it's, it's all right. It's, it, both are important, right? Mm. And, and I, I think you're, you're entirely right. All of the data is, is, you know, supports what you say. What, having, and, and there are, what, 2 million missing black men? I think that's the Jeez. scary statistic of, you know, when, when we talk about black men not in the homes, it's incarceration. It is mass incarceration that's, you, you know, disproportionately responsible. I think mm. it's, it's an interesting time, actually, because you have 
the all this data that is now uh, showing where we're at, which is kind of a new place. I don't know if we've been here before. <laughs> as mm-hmm. this is, I don't know if you can. T- is there history? Have men been here before? <laughs> Scott, tell us. Uh, we've n- we've never had we've never had young men. Well, I mean, a few things. For the first time, I'll give you a first. It's a really unfortunate first. For the first time in history, a thirty-year-old man or woman isn't doing as well as his or her parents were yeah. at thirty. And the ultimate compact with any society is the following. If I play by the rules, my kids are going to do better than me. Mm. I mean, can you imagine anything more heartbreaking for the family when the parents worked hard and did well and the kids got probably more advantage, at least starting out, and the the kids aren't doing as well? And usually they're living at home. More than 50% of young men under the age of 30 are living at home. So you got a constant reminder of your shame called mom and dad. And if you don't get out of the home soon and you don't establish some skills, you kind of enter into this downward spiral that it's very hard to break out of. I was wondering if that has a lot to do with in more recent generations, because now I'm 52 now. So when I was up until 10 years old, I was outside building relationships, kind of what you were saying earlier. I was doing things. I didn't have the PlayStation at home to keep me at home. There wasn't porn. uh, it wasn't as accessible. It was as a it playboy in the garage. Exactly, right? right? So on, you right? did so you in order to develop, you built relationships and we're out and doing things that help us grow yeah. and develop. Yep. And now here we are, and there's so many things that are keeping kids at home in the basement mm-hmm. in calling you saying, How do you get my son out of the house? Mm-hmm. Right. So is that maybe a product of that? You see it. So that now now our boys are not our whole point is to bring forth an ever advancing civilization, right? So that our kids are better than us. How can they be better if they're not developing? Yeah, that's that's what I'm getting at is that we're at a, it might be something, this might be a season that we have to go through right to now. then wake a lot of us up to see mm-hmm. how bad, these stats are insane. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is terrible. <laughs> and you kind of have a sense of it. We all have relationships mm-hmm. with people in our lives. We're like, yeah, it does seem to be a little bit more men than women with the mm-hmm. struggles on these specific things. But maybe this is a... a something that needs to happen to get us to go like, okay, let's go. You know, like, I like a lot of what you, what you talk about can be really inspiring. You know, like I believe in men. Yeah. We're dope. (laughs) If we can get our mojo going, you know, and, and it is really important though, to be ringing the alarm going at the moment. We're not just straight up. We've had like a leg up in a lot of situations and uh, we're going to have to grow pretty fast here the other thing is sticking in my, my brain is like i'm i try to do it anyway but after this conversation we'll just be seeking out younger men in my mm. life oh yeah how do men do that well i think there's 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 fantastic organizations whether it's through local um local civic groups or big brothers but there's also i find i get involved in these big kind of high profile charities mm. and i miss a lot of people around me mm. i miss a lot of people that i, I don't think i don't think you need to look that far to find people who have, um, and the, the wonderful thing about, and this is true of men and women around getting involved in someone else's uh, kid's life, they listen to you. They won't listen to their parents. A lot of times you're saying the exact same thing their parents are. They just won't listen to their parents. And uh, I find that the majority of the coaching I do, mostly for young men, but I do it sometimes for young women, I start with a very, I have a methodology. I take their phone and I ask them to unlock it. And I'm like, I'm not gonna judge you. And I find eight to 10 hours of of waste in their phone. Wow. Uh, Robin Hood, Coinbase, Twitter, porn, Fortnite. And I'm like, all right, 
you're spending on average two to five hours a day on these things. Mm. I'm not, I can't get you to stop. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be that dumb. I want eight hours and we're going to track it. And every time I meet with you, you're going to give me eight hours back. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to put four hours into physical fitness. Uh. I think that's a gift. I think every, every person under the age of 30, especially every man should be able to walk into any room and feel confident that if shit got real, they could kill and eat everybody or outrun them. <laughs> I think that will make you feel, I think that'll make you feel happier, stronger, more attractive to mates, kinder. You know, you're less likely to get into a fight when you feel strong because mm. you can de-escalate the situation. Yep. You're more prone to feeling kind and wanting to protect others. You're less prone to mental illness. You'll, you'll, you'll live a more healthy life. Mm. And then we're going to take four hours. And if they're not working, we're going to do nothing but look for jobs. And it doesn't matter what the job is. It's, it, it can be anything. You need to start making money. We're going mm. to start making money because money is a wonderful thing in a capitalist society. Get excited about money and get excited about fitness. And I just, I have that one trick. That's it. It's mm. a, and they're receptive to it and it works really well and it's actionable. Mm. But it is, it, it, the moment you put out any sort of vibe where I, I'm interested in coaching young men, it is not hard to find them. Yeah. It is just not hard to find them. Yeah, that's right. And what have you learned about yourself through coaching young men? Like, what have you learned about masculinity? It's an interesting question. I didn't realize how prevalent um, marijuana was in vaping. Uh, I, I can't get over how much kids are vaping, especially marijuana. Um, and I'm shocked at how socially stunted young men are. <laughs> I considered crazy. myself... You know, I was a late bloomer. I didn't have sex till I was 19, but I had dates. You know, I went out. I, I, you know, I was six foot two, 140 pounds with acne. I looked like Ichabod Crane with bad skin. <laughs> but I still figured out a way to have dates. I still, like, yeah. got a, you know, I, I developed a sense of humor and I would occasionally mm. ask a woman out and, and, you know, ha went to the prom. And you meet a lot of these, a lot of these young men and they're just totally like, Isolate. They'd rather stay home and do something else. Yeah. They'd rather stay home and watch Netflix or whatever. Right. A lot of these kids had their 11th and 12th grade at home because of COVID. Right. So like, where do they, literally, where do they socialize? Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. So much in there. Um, so much. And I think it's important to, you know, to talk about the benefits of, of, of mentorship and, and service in general, right? That, that helping someone else helps, always helps you. Right. Yeah. Like it's a reminder, you know, any recovery program, you know, being a sponsor, people, you know, people will always say I, I it helps my recovery to be, you know, a, a, a sponsor. Right. And I think for again, I think women feel more of that responsibility because it's not an equal playing field um, to, to sort of give back to, to other women. But I, I think, yeah, if we can ingrain that with men. I think it's a really good things. point. I think that you see it in communities where uh, we actually mentor specifically young boys, but, yeah. but the girls as well. We have in our community, we have a junior youth program that goes on. We have children's classes that go on. That's, that's done by the community mm -hmm. to talk about elevated concepts, to talk about compassion and sensitivity and love and forgiveness and strength and mm -hmm. um, how to, all, all the things that make us human, right? Um, I love that what you're doing, man. I love that yeah. you are um, a man that's dedicated to this and, um, you had said in the beginning that this isn't necessarily your 
field of expertise, but yet you could have fooled me. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you're an educator. I think you dropped a lot of information yeah. and knowledge for us to think about yeah. and uh, for our listeners to think about. I think my favorite thing, if you're a man that's listening, I don't know, but maybe it's just me or men in general, like it's kicking off in me a, a fucking competitive spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it makes me go like, whoa, guys, we are not the losing team. Yes. Not in a shitty way, but in like a, come on. Yeah. Let's go. Like, yeah. what do we get? Like, what the, what the mm-hmm. hell? Like we all, especially because I'm a little bit, I'm 38. So it makes me go, what can I do to help younger men? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we got to do more because it's really good to hear stats that I wasn't totally aware of, of how bad we're doing. Yeah. Not in a put you down way, in the way that when you're on the sports field and someone goes like, you know, you're down 30, right? Like 30? Right. Whoa. Right. Then this needs to shift. Like, ah, we don't lose by 30. <laughs> Not that it's a competition, but like that that can be what you're hearing as opposed to like, oh, darn it. So thank yeah. you for kicking that off of me. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yes, sir. And thank you for sure. just, I think, and you know, your, the point about sex, I think the language you're, you're using actually is reaching people that I'm certainly not reaching and that a lot of, yeah, th- there's a lot of men out there who are being reached by people who won't be named, um, who have other podcasts. And I think that you have filled this really important gap. Um, and mm. So I, I encourage you to continue in in that direction. I, I'm so happy that you exist um, and that I can point men to your direction. And um, yeah, I hope you you speak more about these things. Um, really appreciate you coming on. Mm. Busiest man on earth. That's Take right. Some time. And you know, no, as we wrap up, we, we ask a question that we always wrap up our show with. Sure. Um, let's see. I think, have I asked him? We should ask him when he cried. I want to know the last time Scott cried. Oh my God, ask him. When's the last time that you cried? That you cried? Uh, watching Modern Family on the plane out to Las Vegas, <laughs> oh. I cry probably um, four to five times a week from the age of thirty to forty-four. I didn't cry once. I didn't cry when I got divorced. I didn't cry. What? My mom died. I literally lost. Like I think emotions are like exercise. You forget how to do it or wow. a sport. And I didn't cry. And then I remember I started. Uh, something happened and it triggered an emotional response. And I remember thinking, I, this feels really good. Mm. And I encourage men, it takes practice to be good at anything. And, you know, try and laugh out loud. Like I stopped <laughs> laughing for 10 years. I kind of forgot how. Mm. I had this weird fucked up sense of masculinity that guys don't really laugh out loud or they don't uh. cry. And I stopped crying and I stopped laughing for like 50, 15 years. And the the part that's bad about that is they're not only both great releases, but it puts you in touch with your emotions. I cry for different reasons. And mm-hmm. I, I was telling people, lean in to the tears because if something really inspires you and moves you and it makes you emotional, it's educational. It's like, yeah. okay, why does this inspire me? Why does this resonate so deeply? Or why, you know, you, you figure out like anyone starts talking about my kids, I start getting weepy and mm. I, it, it's educational for me. It like makes me feel good that I mm. feel that strongly about my children. But I always tell guys, embrace the sloppy part of your emotions, get good at them because they will inform, mm. it, they will inform what's important to you and you'll live a more rewarding life. You'll be drawn to those things that move you. Yeah. Be careful about, about losing the capacity to, you know, cry or laugh out loud. So when's the last time I cried? I mean, is it a weekday? I cry <laughs> all the time. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love connecting laughter to crying, right? Like if you cut up the, the, the sad part, you're you're cutting out the happy part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's so brilliant. Yeah. Scott, tell us, what does it mean to you to be man enough? To be man enough? <laughs> Most times I feel like I'm man barely enough. Um, <laughs> uh, man enough. I, I just go back to the notion of masculinity. I think masculinity is skills and strengths such that you can protect or advocate for others. I love the state. I love the saying, plant trees, the shade of which you'll never uh, sit under. Mm. I think that's what it means to be a man. Mm. Wow. wow. Uh, Scott Galloway going deep. Hey. <laughs> We've been going those. deep the whole time. <laughs> I think we did. Okay. I know. But... Excuse me. I got to go cry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I want to say that, that what I'm taking a lot from this, which thank you so much for being yeah. here. I, I really got a lot from thank this. Thank you. Is that we as men have never been here, which op- which creates an opportunity to be something we've never been. We've never been this place before. We've never been this far behind as young men. So like, sometimes you need, I always say like you need like the, the uh, baseball has to be hit like exactly over the back of the fence to make like the incredible catch. Mm-hmm. And men have never been asked with this much intensity to grow. And so there is a story here that could turn out to be that we just do it yeah. and we figure out a way to do it. And I hope mm. that that's how this goes. It's fun. I love that. Might take a minute. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Andy. Preview. Yeah. It'll be fine. Well, we don't, need to, we don't need to tell you this, but um, you indeed, as far as we are concerned, you are indeed man enough. <laughs> No, thanks, man. Yes, really, yeah. really, really enjoyed you. Yes, brother. Thank all right, you. Well, um, thanks so much. Congrats, congrats, Jamie, Andy, and Liz on all of your success. And thanks thank for hosting you. me. Thank you oh, for thanks so coming. Much. We really sending appreciate love, it. Sending love from, from Justin as well. If you like what you heard, uh, you can uh, follow us everywhere you get your podcasts. It's free everywhere. Podcasts are available. And <laughs> the website is man enough slash no no manenough.com slash podcast you did it justin usually does this part uh but justin's watching it's, going it's like, men's work i, I don't do male right. labor I, don't, uh, I do enough there it is oh that is right you do do enough um <laughs> all right um it's been great thank you so much scott we'll see y'all next time i'm jamie heath i'm andy grammar i'm liz plank and this is man enough Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble in partnership with Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Saufeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer. Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing. And Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>